Hello and welcome to The Sound Architect. I'm joined today by David Housden, composer of Volume. Thanks for joining us today, David. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we'll obviously be talking a bit about Volume, which is a very recent release. Very recent. I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't think I've slept since it came out, actually. So there you go. <laughs> out, of, uh, out of positive feedback, I, I hope. You, too much reading of positive feedback is why you can't sleep. Yeah, and just kind of getting rid of the adrenaline from my body, which has built up over <laughs> the last two years' worth of expectation. But um, yeah, no, it's been good. It's been great. Yeah, so you've enjoyed the project so far. Well, I say so far, you've enjoyed the project. Yeah, no, we can talk about it in retrospect now, finally. Um, it, yeah, it, it's been the craziest project that I've ever been a part of because it spans such a long time. I feel like there's been so many um peaks and troughs and you know kind of 10 times the amount of usual ups and downs which uh, you go through during a typical creative process so it's really been like a brand new experience for me um in terms of the longevity of it um but i mean yeah it's like i can't even describe the catharsis i feel now that it's kind of <laughs> out and i can stop worrying about it and it's just there now so yeah no it feels really good Awesome. Now, I do hate to ask, but it's an inevitable question that I have to ask now. Now, it's very different to Thomas Was Alone, isn't it? <laughs> what, what was the big differences between this project um, and Thomas Was Alone? I don't even know where to begin with that. I mean, it's like comparing, you know, apples and oranges, really. Um, it's, it's everything. I mean, on a personal note, I feel like um, so much more of an accomplished musician, orchestrator, arranger, mixer, every conceivable hat that you wear as a you know um composer i've improved on since thomas like i mean you have to remember i i was a month or two out of university when i you know started on the music for that and you know i was so fortunate to um be thrown into such an amazing project so early on in my career but i <laughs> i was literally on the first rung of uh, the ladder in terms of personal growth and development really um so i kind of like fell head first into things and um, it's been a crazy journey hasn't it it really has it really has and i you know i've been at pains not to um be complacent and kind of rest on my laurels just because i was fortunate enough to experience a bit of early success like i really wanted to make sure that i continue to grow and um yeah i mean like I, i'll always the Thomas's alone music will always have a fond place in my heart, um, and you know many other people's, um, I'm sure as well. But this really does represent a, a huge step up in, um, you know, terms of um, what I'm capable of. So um, yeah, so I, th I think that would be the first, the first way in which they're different. Um, secondly, um, Thomas was alone as a game. Um, it was quite, it was quite a threadbare experience. Like on, on its face, it was just a, a a 2D platformer of which there's no shortage in the industry, as you well know. Yeah. Um. So there was really an awful lot of scope to, um, you know, really uh, have a big influence on the experience that the player um would have when they played the game because there's so much room and space there for you. You know, usually you're you're told to take a back seat almost with music and kind of like lay down supporting textures to you know improve the experience but you know you don't want to you're not supposed to be the star of the show uh, whereas it was the opposite <laughs> with Thomas and you know I, I was encouraged to write you know these you know crazy emotional you know big sweeping pieces and stuff so um I did um uh, but this time there's the the subject matter is um so much more um mature and um 
it has far more of like you know a serious subject to it, despite the light-hearted nature of the uh, script and um, you know some of the performances. I felt there was enough kind of comedy and lightness there from like Danny's delivery and you know Mike's writing. I think rather than you know m- music can almost be overkill sometimes with comedy, and I think it's almost always better to you know juxtapose. Um, rather than, you know, reinforce the lightheartedness of things. So I, I decided to um, look at the subtext and the kind of quite bleak, almost Orwellian-esque ideology uh, that Mike's written around, you know, this script and, you know, kind of tap into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the key is in the subtlety, isn't it, with music? That's where the magic is. Absolutely, yeah. So obviously it must have been nice working with Mike Biffle again, and I don't know how much interaction you had with Danny Wallace, but nice to work with him again as well. Absolutely, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was the old team, uh, plus about 20 new faces. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it was a bit, it was, it was a bit strange, um, actually going from kind of, I guess this little, you know, triumvirate of creatives, you know, who put together this, um, game to just being, you know, one of, uh, one of many, uh, faces. But, um, it was really nice working with Mike again. Um, I always enjoy, um, our projects together. Um, he gives me so much creative freedom and um, it's, you know, I, 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 I always feel encouraged to kind of, you know, um, explore away from the beaten path um, on my games with Mike. Whereas, you know, quite often in this industry, you're asked to just do another score by numbers and, you know, kind of stick to the status quo almost, but that's never the case with him. So, yeah, it's always an experience. Yeah, it's really nice to have that flexibility. So what was the first step? Was it literally like, oh, you know, I'm making another game. Are you on board straight away? Uh, or I'll, Honestly, the first time that we spoke about it was at the Baftas. Um, oh, when right. We, yeah, we were, um, uh, we were there for Thomas Was Alone. So kind of like the pinnacle of uh, all of our achievements on this game that we just spent the last year of our lives pouring everything into, he decided to start talking to me about what we were going to do next. <laughs> so I was just like, mate, can you just switch off yeah. for one night, please? But um, yeah, no, so that's when we first kind of that's when he first broached the idea with me and then after that i remember we we met up at a cocktail bar in soho and uh <laughs> which is as freezy as it sounds and um yeah <laughs> we uh yeah he kind of like pitched this whole idea to me um about you know this um kind of modern day robin hood type character called Loxley and um kind of set in the not too distant future um, with a bit of a sort of bleak dystopian, you know, big brother um, government, you know, kind of like slightly more futuristic vision of, you know, uh, 1984 almost. Yeah. And um, yeah, he, he was talking to me about, um, I think the main theme which struck me, and this is something which I really kind of went to town with musically, was um, this clash of old meeting new. And um not not just on like a visual uh, a visual level because obviously there's um, the Robin Hood legend is has been passed down from medieval times but I mean on a deeper level than that the um, the story for the game it's about an old ideology and an old way of living you know being replaced with you know well, it's essentially the story of a revolution um, so you know there's this new way new fresh way of thinking uh, coming forwards which you know the um, underprivileged members of society it's kind of fighting for um, so you know this this real feeling of like you know old versus new is something which really stood out to me from our very first conversation and I instantly knew that that was something that I wanted to explore and play with musically 
Awesome. And as you said, it's centered around this Robin Hood theme. And there's also very obvious elements of the kind of Metal Gear Solid stealth approach in there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. How, how did that affect your perspective and where did you draw your influences for that? That's really interesting. And someone else asked me this a couple of days ago. I'm going to say exactly the same thing. Um, when, I, when I write, uh, when, I, when I'm working on a, a game or a, a film or um, you know, any, anything where I'm required to write kind of cinematic soundtrack um, style music, I don't listen to any soundtracks at all because um, I'm terrified that it will somehow subconsciously worm its way into my writing and I'll yeah. end up just, you know, rehashing what someone else has done before. So I, I pretty much exclusively just listen to, you know, um, kind of like band music, um, <laughs> you know, uh, anything apart from soundtrack scores um, while I write. So I think it's good um, to draw your influences from elsewhere. And it, it really comes across in my writing, you know, loads of people comment about, um how much of a you know sort of subtle post rock feel there is um, in a lot of my work, and you know that's that, that's because I pretty much exclusively listen to Explosions in the Sky and Hammock and um, <laughs> bands like this in my spare time. So yeah, it's always going to come through. But I'm glad because it means that instead of <laughs> sounding like Hans Zimmer, it sounds like something a bit fresh and a bit different because you know classical composers don't typically tend to reference you know bands like mogwai uh for their soundtracks <laughs> Not very so often no it's um yeah I, I find that works well um but yeah uh, as for the mgs thing um i did listen to quite a lot of uh harry gregson williams work um because i wanted to make a real effort to steer well clear of it because the visual um comparisons were being made by almost everyone who saw the game, uh, I felt that I needed to work really hard to try and give it um, a sonic identity of its own. Um, so it perhaps visually people can make the comparisons uh, to the VR missions in the original MGS, at least musically. I wanted to give them a fresh experience and, you know, perhaps play a little bit with the tropes of what people expect and anticipate to hear from a self-score well that's always the hard part isn't it keeping it unique and having your own sonic identity with every game absolutely it, it really is but it's it's vital to me and it's something i strive to do um every time every time i write because the industry is so saturated right now i mean in one sense there's no new ideas under the sun you know it's all just um uh, representations of work which has come before and preceded us but i think being as unique and original as you can with um your own interpretations of what has preceded is you know where where the sonic interest comes from and you know that's ultimately what helps um games stand apart uh, music is just as much of um the branding and it contributes to the identity of the game you know as much as any other element um so i think it's hugely important to try and find a niche and um you know do something uh, a little bit different um every time you can definitely and just out of curiosity for any budding composers out there what is your best advice for how to be unique because obviously we hear that advice a lot of stand yeah. out and find your own niche and make sure you're different and you know how, how do you even begin to try and do that it's interesting. I think it's a different, it's a difficult concept to, um, you know, try and uh, quantify, like to, to give set instructions. Yeah. I don't really know what to suggest because for me, it's something that it's an intrinsic part of the process, and it's something that I, I, I just listen to my gut, and you know, I, I don't think myself as a person, I'll, I'll ever be happy, kind of 
you know, settling for something which is just average or which just sounds like everything else because, you know, it's not really who I am and I don't really feel any kind of creative fulfillment from just writing that kind of music. So instantly, like my first thought almost before I even kind of think about the, you know, sonic palette of the game, I'll be thinking, you know, what, what's special about this game? What's different? What's unique? And how can I represent that musically? Like, what can I do to really help set this game stand apart and you know what can I do so that someone can hear a few seconds of this music and they instantly associate it with this game or this brand rather than just you know assuming it's another piece of music so that, that's kind of my initial thought process so I suppose if you can train yourself to start thinking like that it will help um, I mean for example with Thomas's alone, I think I don't know. This wasn't something that I did on purpose at all, and <laughs> it's quite funny that it's worked <laughs> out this way. Because, like, seriously, the only reason I did this is because I wasn't a good enough composer to write the kind of music that Michael initially asked me to. Um, I think most people's take. I think the obvious route to take would have been to do a really kind of synth heavy. I don't know. Maybe some people would have gone eight bit, but I think that's almost a bit too obvious. But I yeah. think I think that you know the normal thing to have done would have been to you know do a really synth heavy kind of not exactly EDM, but definitely electronically based score. But I'm terrible at writing. Well, I'm, I was a lot worse. I'm slightly better now, but I'm terrible at writing that kind of music. <laughs> and I just knew that I would not be able to do a good job for him um, if. I'd be constantly swimming upstream and out of my element and just, you know, trying to force a square peg into a round hole if I tried to write <laughs> that kind of score for him. So I just twisted everything to what I knew that I could do reasonably well and, you know, based everything around the piano um, with, you know, the string accompaniment and then, for good measure, decided I better sprinkle a few kind of, uh, you know, sympathy sounds in on top just to appease him. <laughs> so and, basically uh, you winged it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, big time, big time. I winged it. Um, but, you know, how many people would have looked at a 2D platformer game and decided to do, you know, a sweeping emotional orchestral score for it? Yeah, probably not many, and for good reason, because they'd, <laughs> they'd have been mad. Um, but then, you know, this this story, I think, you know, once Mike started to hear this music, you know, he, you know, the characters, you know, really developed. I don't want to take uh, credit for the story by any means, because that's not the case, but I think, you know, it gave the game... Uh, more of a soul and you know Mike decided there was a story to be told there and then you know the, the music inspired the story the story inspired the music and so on and so forth and you know it um it built up into um the score that you know hopefully some of you have um had the chance to listen to now so um so you know but but that's just one example of how you know taking a different tact and you know d- doing something a, a little bit atypical to what people would expect can can pay off to give you another example with volume, this was a lot harder, I should stress, to find like a unique selling point for. I have you to didn't wing this one. I, d- I definitely did. But <laughs> yeah, basically, um, the kind of music, with the kind of music that Mike was asking for and with the conventions of the genre, there's only so far you can stray uh, from what's been done before you cease to become effective with the medium. Like, there's some fairly specific genre conventions to stealth music and to action music, yeah. which if you're not hitting, it ceases to have the same effects. You know, there's a reason that it's, it's done uh, over and over and over again. I, I personally felt that I didn't really have the luxury of completely reinventing the wheel with this, and I decided this wasn't the time to 
you know, be really avant-garde and try and do something ridiculous for the sake of it. So what I decided to try and do is how can I be original and unique within these parameters while still serving the purpose of the game and what the audience is going to be best served with, what can I do to make it a bit different? So I don't know if anyone will have noticed this uh, without me saying it, but the entire score um, is littered with found sounds the entire way through. Um, oh, nice. Everything from, yeah, the... Um, the ambiences uh, that you can hear kind of uh, at the start of some of the tracks and, you know, floating through. Uh, they're manipulated field recordings from Sherwood Forest, just the general kind of like, the, you know, the wind and the noise of the trees rustling and stuff. Oh, even Sherwood Forest as well. Yeah, no, I spent a whole day doing field recordings in Sherwood Forest. You know, just, <laughs> I just thought it would be a cool so little you could say it in the interview, really, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, <laughs> yeah, you know. No, I, I could easily have gone down to, you know, my local woods and achieved the same thing, but... Um, I just thought, in the interest of authenticity, um, why not? And um, the percussion, for example, um, when you think you're hearing a hi-hat, it could well be a suit farmer being tapped with chopsticks and tuned down and mixed in with all manner of other things. You know, there's uh, clashing of swords, uh, forming percussive hits. Um, lots of the rise effects that you hear are uh, the sound of um, a bow being shot from an arrow, uh, down-tuned, reversed, processed heavily and mixed in with other things um so like there's a real like whilst everything's very technological um uh, sorry on a visual level with the game it's you know got quite a sci-fi aesthetic yeah i knew that i'd have to i'd have to write music which would suit that but at the same time just taking these extra steps has really given it an organic feel as well and i I hope that's something that comes i hope there's like a warmth to these you know supposedly digital sounds um which comes across rather uh, that's what i was at pains to try and get across rather than just being like a cold uh, digital sounding um soundtrack i really wanted it to feel warm and give give like a have a sense of realism and humanity um in these virtual environments it's a very detailed thought process has obviously gone into that yeah and it kind of ties into my next question which was going to be in what way did the art style affect your process but you seem to have tried to go against it a little bit with the music yeah, in a way, I think it's all about it's all about balance, and um, that's really what I would like. As I was explaining in my previous answer, like you really, there was only so far against the grain. I felt that I could go. Um, yeah. With, um, with this particular project, um, so it was about doing just enough to kind of serve the, the traditional conventions and tropes that you know you kind of need just to hold your head above water uh, in you know amongst the competition. Um, whilst also taking it as far in the other direction as I could as well. So, yes, at face value, you've got your pulsing 16th synths in there, you know, you've got your cinematic rises, you've got your big, heavy-sounding percussion, but underneath that, there's a hell of a lot more, which you won't hear in, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry's attempt at doing that kind of music. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that's the way that I've tried to make it stand out and set it apart. Awesome. How, how involved were you actually in the implementation side of things? Um, not at all. I'm <laughs> <laughs> very pleased to say um, one of the, it, it's weird. Like when I first started out, I used to wear every single hat and I, I presented myself as a sound designer, composer, do anything remotely musically related for money kind of guy. <laughs> um, but I soon realized that I was a lot, uh, I'm a, a much better musician than I am a sound designer, and um, fortunately, I've you know been very blessed to um, 
work on some amazing projects which have given me the opportunity to just spread my wings as a composer um, rather than, you know, kind of trying to do a poor imitation of a sound designer as well, which is really an incredible job role in itself. And uh, I knew that um, I'd be doing games a disservice if I, you know, kind of continue trying to be everyone at once. And there's some incredibly talented sound guys out there, yourself included, who, you know, deserve to uh, have their work heard. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of nice. Uh, just to focus on my strengths and you know what um, you know what I feel comfortable and um, you know reasonably proficient at. So the process just involved you main to focus on your music and then just being able to send that off and then you received feedback. Yeah, basically. I, I mean, one thing I, I was very very involved in the implementation with Thomas has learned because it was such a complex system that we used um, to generate the music, um, and that was something that. Both Mike and I wanted to avoid this time because, um, <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons, maybe. But um, yeah, <laughs> um, definitely because I'm so happy with all of the music that I wrote for Times Was Alone. But it was very constricted way of writing at the same time, and you know, uh, it really does. Uh, if you kind of analyse, like someone did a theory analysis of all of the music in Times Was Alone just the other week, and oh wow. It's fascinating kind of like looking back at it, just how much of like a beginner score it was, like the amount of uh, pieces written in C major or um, A minor, everything in 4-4, um, lots of 120 BPM stuff. And it really does, you know, kind of show the stage that I was at as a, as a composer uh, when I wrote it. But also a lot of that was because of this bloody ridiculous music system that we had, <laughs> which required very straight and precise kind of um, measurements and the more complex you got with your writing the more difficult it became to you know try and um, well basically like you I'd write these pieces and then retrospectively go back and cut them up into I'd separate each individual instrument track and then cut that into loops of you know uh, 4, 8, 16, 24, 32 bars and then they'd be loaded into uh, the audio engine and um, assigned a uh, probability playback factor um, depending on how regularly or rarely you wanted a particular loop to come in and then it would just be you know playback randomly generated so the more kind of complex you got with your arrangement and your writings the more risk you were taking once the, all of these loops were loaded into the engine. Yeah, I think it's fully understandable why most were in C major and A minor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, perhaps not the keys, but certainly the time signatures and the well, yeah. and you know, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to do that again, and I didn't feel... I felt there was other ways of keeping an, a listening experience fresh for a player. I just want to write music this time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah preaching to the choir, man. So that's, <laughs> that's basically what happened, and, you know... Um, but it, it was strange. Like I don't feel, I don't feel as if um, I've had any more creative freedom uh, with volume than I did with Thomas. Was I thought it would kind of lead me to these weird and wonderful places. But the job that the music is doing is so different this time around. Um, as much as I had the freedom to write almost whatever I wanted, at the same time the music isn't a main one of the main characters this time. It's very much yeah. um, playing a supporting role and uh, complementing what's going on rather than perhaps filling uh, part of the void because there's there's not quite as much going on visually. Like this time it's all about the gameplay and, um, you know, figuring out these puzzles and getting from one side to the next. And there's another, you know, brilliant story uh, in there as well. So really the music's just one factor of a myriad of things, whereas it was a very large part of Thomas' alone. So, um, 
Yeah, it's slightly strange, you know, because I'm like just in my writing, I'm a, I'm very I'm a very melodic and you know um, I'm a very melodic writer and um, I like to write musical music. Um, I, I'm not very good at you know just kind of doing general underscore stuff. So as much as like I was able to write whatever I wanted, at the same time I felt like I was constantly holding back from ever really having anything like too recognisable in there, which would perhaps jerk the listener's attention. Uh, sorry, the player's attention. The listener, that shows how I think of the audience, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the player's attention. Yeah, from the forget game. the game. Yeah. They're just listening to the <laughs> <laughs> I know, I kid myself, don't I? But yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was slightly strange in that respect. Um, yeah, sorry, I've gone off on such a tangent. No, I no, it's fine. from your original point, but yeah. Well, no, just, just following on from the, the implementation side, then, so it's nice that you've had the creative freedom, but did you get to play different builds and see how the music worked and then change anything based on that? I'll probably get shot for saying this, but honestly, I, I've had next to no contact uh, with the game whilst I was writing it. It's all been, like, because my Mac is brilliant for um, music production, but it's got, like, a pretty old graphics card in it, so... Right. I haven't really been able to run um, many of the builds. I think up until Eurogamer last year, I knew everything that was going on and I was you know, very up to date with everything on a visual level and uh, so on and so forth. But beyond that, my only contact with the game has been, like Mike would send me videos of gameplay so that I wouldn't literally be writing blind. At the trade shows, I always got a nice vertical slice. Uh, when I go around to Mike's flat and we, you know, kind of, go have, have update meetings and go over everything together so really yeah, they're the only they're the only times i got to play the game were um at trade shows and when i went to mike's flat so i downloaded <laughs> it myself uh for the very first time um on wednesday morning when it came out on um ps4 in um europe so yeah i i kind of played the game for the first time at the same time as the audience did what was it like experiencing your music in that way Oh, uh, it was amazing. It was like not not even the music, man, but just experiencing the game was just in, incredible after such a long time to see, you know, the fruit of everyone's labor because the team works so hard on it and there's so many talented people involved in the creating of it. It was just amazing seeing it all come together uh, like that and um, it's just, yeah, it's so much better than I thought. It was, not that I thought it was going to be bad. That sounds completely wrong. But it just superseded all of my expectations for it. So, it's, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it seems like other people are as well. So well, That's always the better way around when it supersedes your expectations. Absolutely, yeah, for sure, for sure. It would have been a bit embarrassing if not, but yeah. So, I mean, you even said yourself how much of a bigger score it is. And, uh, yes. it, you know, I think it's fair to say it takes more of an orchestral and a bit more of a Hollywood approach. For sure, yeah, particularly in the action segments. Oh, of course, yeah. Like you yeah. say, it's a necessity to have certain elements in there. Yeah, yeah. Would you say this was a, a comfortable genre for you, or was it kind of a new experience where you got to explore quite a bit? Yeah, it's really <laughs> it's really not a comfortable genre for me at all. <laughs> it's something that I usually stay a million miles away from uh, for various reasons. So, yeah, it was weird. Um, it was nice. It was a nice challenge, and it was... It was, um, you know, really cool kind of approaching it from a different perspective and because um, I'm all about kind of um, the chilled, ambient, post-rock kind of, you know. Kind of mellow tracks. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and the more uh, stripped back, I'm quite a minimal, uh, minimalist writer. Um, so, you know, that, that's really my forte and that's my bread and butter and that's what I'm, you know, 
consider myself to be like, like reasonably good at. So yeah, it, I was severely out of my element when asked to kind of really bring a sense of grandeur to proceedings with these big bombastic orchestral segments. But um, yeah, it was an interesting challenge, and I'm never one to you know shy away from new experiences. And it's always nice to have more strings to your bow. So I approached it with an open mind, and yeah, really worked hard. Uh, building my own kind of orchestrational chops up and getting things, you know, to a really, well, to, to a standard that I was very happy with. Um, but, yeah, basically during during development, it became apparent that we weren't going to have the budget to do um, a full live orchestra. Okay. And I started to feel that um, we, we, we had a music budget, but it wasn't enough to, you know, bring arrangements of this size to life it was like the best we could have done was record a small section multiple times and layer it up and i just knew that that wasn't going to compete against what you expect to hear from that kind of music it wasn't going to have the same weight and gravitas so i decided that that money would be better invested um into getting a really talented mock-up artist to just go to town and, you know, polish everything up to the 10th degree and just make it sound huge and big. Because, you know, samples are at a point now where um, obviously a fellow audio person and composer will be able to tell the difference. But for the general public, like, there's not a lot of difference between the sound of a real violin and the sound of a really well. Yeah, they are getting really good. They are, and especially if you put the work in, you know, kind of programming it as well, you know, you can get a very realistic representation. Yeah, so, if you manipulate them enough, you can get for sure. pretty good. Absolutely. Um, so that was a creative decision that I took rather than trying to, um, you know, cheat on, you know, make, make a string quartet sound like a full orchestra. I thought, you know, get someone who really knows what they're doing. So um, I spoke to a, a guy called Daniel James. Oh, yeah, I know Daniel James, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's um, he's the guy behind, like, the Hybrid 2 products, like Project Alpha and Project Bravo. And I actually, I actually found him because I bought Project Bravo, um, to you know, kind of give me some inspiration for some cinematic stings and rises to like mix in with um, my own sounds that I've recorded. Yeah. And um, like none of his products come with a manual or anything. Uh, he just does these like massive um, YouTube videos on how to use them. So I was watching this one video where he basically explains how the hell you kind of get the best out of Project Bravo. Right. And, yeah. He had this track playing at the beginning, uh, which is like, you know, supposedly like mainly comprised of Project Bravo. And then he deconstructs it and shows you how he made it. But this bit, I was just blown away by the size of this piece. It was just absolutely massive. And it sounded, it sounded on a par with anything that you'd expect to hear from two steps from hell or, um, any kind of like big Hollywood, you know, trailer or stuff like that. So, I mean, that, that's not at all, that was, um, a sound I wanted to stay away from a bit, but I just thought that if he could apply his production values to my music, like, you know, to David Housen music, it could create, you know, something really cool. And, you know, he's capable of doing something that I'm not in terms of producing that like really big Hollywood sounds. Whereas I'm much more of an organic musical writer than perhaps, you know, Dan is typically, he, he tends to use a lot of sound design and hybrid, um, elements in his scores whereas i'm just a, a musical guy you know I, I i just write you know kind of with traditional instruments and stuff so i felt that those two approaches together 
could create something really cool. Oh, nice one. And they did. So, yeah, um, most of we, we collaborated together and, you know, he did, he did a bit of work on um, just adding some, like, cool percussive elements to some of the um, more ambient sections of the game. But by and large, they stayed as they were. But um, he really kind of took all of my um, action action loops and, you know, kind of turned them up to 11 and uh, just got them sounding absolutely huge. So, um, yeah, he was a really cool guy to work with. Awesome. Yeah, well, it's great to hear that you were able to collaborate with someone else in the industry as well. Definitely, yeah. It's it's you know such an isolating uh, profession, kind of being a self-employed composer. So it's really <laughs> yeah. nice to you know, uh, so it's really nice. To, yeah. Stuck uh, in the back cave is how I describe my job. <laughs> yeah, no, that describes the majority of my life. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was really it was really good to you know have someone else's take on your music and um, someone with an informed ear whose opinion you can trust. It was really nice to get some objective feedback on everything that I'd done. And it's not normally like, obviously you get feedback from your employers and the people that you work with, but they're not typically musically minded people. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's always good to collaborate with people and, you know, share what you're working on. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that we should keep an ear out for in volume? Yeah, the vocalist, Reva Taylor. She's amazing. Oh, Reva's involved. I didn't know Reva yeah, Taylor. Yeah, she's the voice of the entire soundtrack. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah, she, um, I saw her perform at Video Games Live last year. Yeah. And um, I, she, she, I, I saw her again at the, this year's BAFTAs. She opened the ceremony. Yeah, it was a fantastic performance. It really was, wasn't it? Yeah. I, by that point, I needed a solo voice in the game because... There's a lot you can replace with samples, but like the human voice isn't one of them. And um, I just thought I'd be cheeky and reach out to her and see if she was interested. And, you know, she got back like straight away. We met up in London for a drink the following day and we were in the studio the day after that. So in the space of two days. Oh, awesome. But everything together. She was just supposed to sing on the theme and another really like stripped down piece. Um, but she was so good and we got through it so quickly. I just got her to sing over everything. So there's a, there's a couple of tracks where she's tracks where she's related, and you can, you know, you, you know it's her. Um, and then, but almost every single piece in the entire soundtrack, she's in there, you know, mixed in with the choir or just sitting on top of, you know, the kind of uh, background ambiences and that kind of stuff. So that also helps give things a real kind of like warm, organic human element too. So um, yeah, listen out for her work because she was, she was brilliant. Well, yeah, definitely we will do. We enjoyed having Reaver on the site as well. It'd be good to hear her in the volume soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks very much again for your time. It's been a pleasure having you, David. Pleasure to be here, Sam. Always, always lovely to catch up. And we hope all of you out there are enjoying the volume soundtrack.